Welcome back to Marvel's Voices. I'm your host, Angelique Roche. Today, I am talking to Darren Chan, an editor at Marvel, and most importantly, editor of Marvel's Voices Identity Number One. This anthology of Marvel's Voices spotlights Asian, Asian American, and Pacific Islander writers, artists, and creators, as well as has a really dope introduction that you do not want to miss. When did you first pick up comics? Like, what was what was Darren's first comic? Oh, that's a tough one because I got into comics through my older brother. He was significantly older than me, so he he had a comic book collection in the eighties. He didn't actually read the comics; he was just buying them because he thought this was like during the uh, speculator. Oh, he was he was collector. Yeah, he was a collector. Exactly. He was like, oh, this might be worth money someday. But he never actually read them. So as a kid, that was kind of how I got into comics. So he had things like the new Teen Titans. He had just a couple X-Men issues. Not a lot. He had a lot of G.I. Joe. Like a lot. (laughs) I was like, I I don't know why he had so many. I mean, there are a lot of G.I. Joe's. There are also a lot of G.I. Joe's, yeah. But he also had things like The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen. It sounds like he had a lot of DC comics. (laughs) But, you know, that's kind of how I how I got into comics. And then eventually I started buying my own comics. I was that kid that would go to the comic book store every week. And that like Friday night, Friday night was my like, I would go to the comic book store after school. And then I would take all my comics, my huge stack of comics that I bought. And then I would just sit in my room Friday night reading all of them. I didn't think I could love you more, Darren, but the story is making me love you more. One of the earliest comics I can remember as a kid was this Spider-Man comic that I got for free at the grocery store. And uh, I can't I'm blanking on the name, but the story was like Spider-Man and a group of kids are traveling between actual like books that exist. So like they show up in the Jungle Book. I know exactly what you're talking about right now. Like, I, of course, it's a podcast and no one can see me freak out. I know exactly what you're talking about. Okay. Right Did you have this comic? I don't remember if I owned it or if it was like at daycare or like kindergarten or in a classroom and I picked it up, like whatever it was. Oh, but I know what you're talking about. There's an actual name for these books. The Amazing Spider-Man Adventures in Reading. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I had to Google it. But there were a lot of books like that, right? Then, and we've, we've been having a really interesting conversation with a friend about what's canon, what's not canon, but also like how amazing it was to use these characters in these ways that brought kids in. Because, you know, Spider-Man, especially the Spider-Man annuals, are places where a lot of characters of color make their first appearance or a lot of villains make their first appearance. And so it's interesting to me to see Spider-Man making his first appearance for a lot of kids in our well-known stories that we love, like The Jungle Book. So for you, I got to ask, like, your Friday Night Lights basically is your comic book haul. Cool, cool, cool. What was it about comics? Because I feel like there's this point where either you're all in and you're invested in comics or is this point where you put them down and then you either pick them back up or you don't? Because, you know, I've, I've heard the I read comics as a kid story so many times, but I'm always so interested in what was it about comics for you as a medium 
that you kept going? And then also, like, did you know, yeah, I want to work in comics. This is what I want to do. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I know a lot of people who also work in comics who say, like, like this period was a blind spot for me because I, I wasn't reading comics back then. I call those people deserters. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was like, you didn't read The Age of Apocalypse? How dare you? How dare you didn't read Life and Death 1 and 2? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think, you know, what that's that's a really good question because I've never I've never really thought about it before. You know, what is it that made me keep going back to comics? I think I just loved the stories that were being told. I was a weekly comic book buyer and the comics that I was reading, they always had these subplots that made me want to go. What happens in the next issue? I have to know what happens. There were writers who planned their stories long term. And so, you know, a subplot that might have been introduced for like a page in like Kurt Busiek's Avengers, for example, they don't really follow up on it or address it until like issue 15. And so and so I'm those were the things that made me keep coming back. But it was also the art. There were so many great artists during the time that I was buying and reading comics. You know, my favorites at the time were George Perez on Avengers, that same Avengers run with Kurt Busiek. Frank Quitely is someone who I'll always buy, like, whatever he draws, whether it's a cover or, like, the interiors of a book. John Romita Jr., you know, that was another person that, like, anything he drew, it was amazing. I had to buy it. So, yeah, it was, it was just, they were periodical stories and I think the goal was always to get you to buy the next one. And so I couldn't just stop. I had to know, like, how is this story going to conclude? And they were smart enough to go, here's the conclusion of this story. But you already have like five other questions that you want to see the conclusion to. So I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop. That's what I, I love about Claremont's run or there's this one particular run where like, Monica Rambeau, which everybody is very clear, that's one of my favorites. So when you were like saying Ramita, I was like, yes, both of them that cover. There's one where she like goes off in a space to check like one of Thanos's ships and ends up getting transported to another part of the galaxy with some no good nicks. And I'm like, this has nothing to do with anything else going on, but I have to know what happens. But also what's happening back on earth? Like, and that feeling that you kind of get of it's sequential serialized fiction, right? And it's giving us people who we relate to and who we really love. And I think it's a really interesting concept because for both of us, there were not a lot of characters that looked like us at the time, which is honestly, are people like, why do you love Monica Rambeau so much? I said, well, first of all, she's badass, but second of all, she's black and she's from Louisiana. Do you know any other black women superheroes from the eighties who are from Louisiana? I do not. For me, like it's pretty amazing to see that kind of representation do you remember at all? Because everybody remembers this differently and we all see it differently. Because I think when we're kids and we have an imagination, sometimes it hits us and sometimes it doesn't. Do you remember feeling like you were represented in comics? Like were there particular characters that you loved or attached to regardless of 
race or geography or or even gender like and why those characters so I, I didn't when i look back on it i didn't really have a lot of characters that i felt represented me at the time you know the only one that i think was most prominent for me was jubilee and i don't think as a kid i realized that she was asian american because it wasn't something that was talked about in the 90s x-men cartoon and I was actually talking about this with Maureen Gu when I first approached her to write a story for Marvel's Voices Identity. She was also in the same boat as me. Like she grew up watching the X-Men cartoon and she loved Jubilee. But we both were like, she didn't look that Asian, though. So that's why we didn't realize at the time that like, oh, this is an Asian American girl. So, you know, looking back on it in retrospect, it's like I, I did gravitate towards her a lot. And it's maybe only a coincidence that she is Asian, but I think after I realized, as I got older and I, I was reading more of the comics, after I realized that she was Asian, that was kind of when I started liking her more. But as a kid, I, I really gravitated towards Wolverine because who doesn't love the badass, you know, snubs his nose at authority and does what he wants? Who doesn't love characters like that? So he was always a favorite of mine. All right, so you go from fan what in you goes, hey, I want to get rich and make lots of money. Let me go make comic books for a living. And oh, by the way, let me be an editor and have to wrangle timelines and multiple books at the same yeah, I time. I know, exactly. Um, you know, when, when I was growing up, I drew a lot, like like any kid who was reading comics at the time. I would draw a lot of superheroes. I would try and draw my own comic books. And then as I got older, and I'm talking like, when I say older, I mean like middle school, I started paying more attention to the story and the writing. And then I thought to myself like, oh, I would love to be a comic book writer. But as time went on, I was like, well, I can't really do that either. I, don't, I haven't really been uh, working on that muscle but one of the things that I noticed in the comics that I would buy every week, you know, I would read every single credit in my favorite comics. And so I would read every single name and every single title that they had in the book. Writer, artists, letterer. And it would always end with the editor and then the editor-in-chief. And I always knew, you know, the editor-in-chief's name is like in every single Marvel comic. So that name was always consistent. But the other name that I saw most consistently was Tom Brevoort's name. And so that name kind of stuck with me from when I was in middle school till, you know, now. And so it always made me wonder, like, what, what does a comic book editor do? And, you know, I did, I did a little bit of research. I don't think what I discovered at all scratched the surface of what I do now. <laughs> but it was a job that I was like, oh, that's, that's really interesting. Like, he gets to work on all these different books and work with all these different writers and artists like that must be really cool so there was there was a part of me in high school when I had to determine like all right where am I going to college what am I gonna major in and I just didn't know what the answer was and I kind of gave up on that hope of becoming a comic book editor very quickly when I told my dad what I wanted to be and he was like well how much money does that make and I was like I don't know <laughs> So that, that kind of, I was a sensitive child, so I kind of dropped that dream really quickly. But when I joined DC Comics after college, I started out in the publishing operations department. 
And when I was there, I got to meet a lot of different editors. And one editor that I'm still really good friends with today, I, I asked him, I was like, what does it take to be a comic book editor? And he said to me, like, oh, a monkey could do this job. And I was like, I'm better than a monkey. I can do this job. <laughs> can a monkey get a degree in English? <laughs> well, anyways, so so that, that kind of reignited that dream of working in comics. Editors do a lot of work, yo. I have a lot of respect. For some reason, y'all have allowed me <laughs> in this, like very lightly into the space. And I think for a lot of folks, it is just this line where you see editor or associate editor or assistant editor or editor-in-chief, and you're like, what do these folks really do? And, you know, to me, like I always describe this to folks, and I'd love to get your perspective, is like, you're the guardians of the continuity, and you kind of shepherd through the storylines with an understanding of where is the Marvel Universe in whatever earth they're on, and whatever verse they're in, with whatever character they're dealing with, but also how they get used across books, right? So like, how do you edit a book at Marvel? Like, what does that look like in general? And then we'll talk about what makes an anthology like Marvel right, Voices right, different. Right. What you described is a very important aspect of my job, but it's like one aspect of so many different facets. The way I describe my job to people who don't work in comics is I'm like a project manager, right? So I create deadlines for people. I give them feedback on their stories. I give feedback to the writers, the artists, the colorists. You know, I make sure that people hit their deadlines, things like that. So that's, that's another facet of my job. But the other facet that you don't really get to see on the page is, uh, you know, playing therapist to all the creators or you know i'm like i like to think of myself as like i'm the therapist i'm the spouse i'm the best friend i'm everything rolled into one for whoever needs it and you know every creator is different so everyone you know each creator has their own working style and it's up to me to be as flexible as possible to help that person you know achieve their goal and hit a deadline because um, without those deadlines, these comics would never come out. <laughs> like, like I can guarantee you, these comics would not come out. So for you, there's a couple of different types of books I know you've worked on. I'm sure there are more. You've got what is a limited series, like a mini series, a one shot, you know, the annuals. You've got ongoing series and then there are anthologies which is kind of why I dragged you here today is to talk about an anthology. So anthologies, I mean, for those who like prose, for those who like comic books, I mean, anthology is exactly what it sounds like. It is a collection of stories. But one of the unique things about Marvel's Voices is these anthologies are actually canon. They exist in the Marvel Universe world. And these particular anthologies that we're working on, like Marvel's Voices, identity are focused on BIPOC creators, and I would love for you to just like talk about one, like how is this process to talk about identity? Cause I know that was the actual title was suggested from you. So I'd love to like get your thoughts on that. And then like the difference between juggling what a cast of 20 plus 
versus I have a penciler, a letterer, and a writer, and maybe a colorist. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to remember the last time I worked on an anthology. It's been a long time, so... And I think the last time I worked on one, I only worked on like one story out of like a dozen. So this might have been my first time actually editing the entire book. And it's it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work because even though some of these stories might be as short as like five pages, you've got maybe like six teams that are doing five page stories. And each one is like either they're completely done, which is like, great, I don't have to worry about that person. Or the other person's like, oh, this person's deadline might run up to when we need to send this to the printer. So I got to make sure to put a lot of pressure on that person. This anthology has eight short stories. So it was really like editing eight one shot stories, one shot issues. And in addition to that, there were also the text pieces, you know, we've got an intro and an interview and a letter column. And I didn't realize, <laughs> maybe you you knew because you've been doing this for a while, but I didn't realize how much work that was going to be. So, so that was kind of a, a new thing for me. And there were definitely some learning curves because I, I usually don't have to worry about like a long essay or anything like that being incorporated into a book. That aspect was actually... It was also a lot of work, even though no one's drawing anything. It still required just as much effort and concentration as one of the short stories, which isn't to say that that was bad, because I think every single story and every text piece turned out beautifully. You know, I'm I'm super proud of every single story, but it was a lot. (laughs) Yeah, and it definitely makes these books very particularly unique. No, when you look at anthologies, and for me, like, I love the fact that Marvel's Voices books are that. They are anthologies that bring together these unique teams of new artists and established artists, and particularly this book, which is so unique and so special. Looking forward and looking backward and then looking at all of these different legacy characters and newer characters and dipping into spaces that these artists, honestly, some of them are like, wait, you're going to give me this character for five pages? I get this character for five pages? What are you going to let me do? Yeah, I think especially with the goal of Marvel's Voices, I I think you need those text pieces to help give it context. You know, there are some anthologies that I'll read that don't have any text pieces at all, or like an anniversary issue or something. And I'll feel like, well, you kind of need at least an intro to sort of give people context for where we're at now. Yeah. So talk to me about where the name Identity came from. Like, what was the thought behind that? I'll be honest, that one was, I was really lucky in that I was actually ahead for a change. I'm usually, you know, if you talk to any comic book editor, the idea of getting ahead is a nice ideal, but it's rarely a reality. So this was one where I had a lot of the creators already mapped out. I had a lot of the characters already mapped out. And so, you know, talking to the writers, my feeling was, let me figure out what all the stories are going to be before we figure out what the name of the book is going to be. Because what I didn't want to do was, I didn't want to come up with a name and tell people, this is what you have to write about. I didn't want to go in saying like, like, here are the parameters. This is the theme I want you to write about. I didn't reach out to the writers saying any of that stuff. What I did was I I talked to them 
And I just said like, hey, we're going to do this book about AAPI characters and creators, and this is going to be great. And what I would impart with each person was kind of like a rallying call. I would, I would tell them about how the first Asian superhero at Marvel was Jimmy Woo, who was created in 1956. And I would tell them like, that's crazy. He predates the Fantastic Four. He predates Spider-Man, the X-Men, the Avengers. Like that's, that's amazing. Cause I always knew, I always knew that there were a lot of Asian creators in the history of Marvel. So that was kind of the message I wanted to impart, which is like, let's celebrate the fact that we've been part of Marvel for this long, longer than anyone even realizes. So people turned in their stories, they turned in their pitches, I reviewed all of them. And so then when it came time to like, come up with a subtitle, at first I was trying to think of, you know, a standard name. And at first I wanted to be like, let's call it Marvel's Voices Pride, because when I was in high school, I went to a high school that had a big Asian population. And so the words Asian pride came up a lot. And so I thought, let's call it that. And then I saw Sarah Brunstad already had that name taken for the LGBTQ plus book. So I'm like, okay, I can't use that. We can't have two pride books, but what else can there be? And so I looked back at the stories that were pitched and I was like, the theme that I'm noticing, like just naturally, organically was about identity. It was about these characters and who they are. And, and, you know, a lot of these stories are going to be about what being Asian means to them. So it kind of worked out. I, I pitched it to CB. I was surprised how much he liked it. And then he pitched it to everyone else and everyone else said they liked it. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, uh, that was easy, kind of. Tell us about, you said there's eight stories. Who are folks going to read? What are folks going to see when they pick up this book? We've got, and this is not in the order that we end up publishing this in. So, but it goes, the first story will be Shang-Chi because I don't know if you've heard, he's got a movie coming out. I also hear that Gene is doing magnificent things and has done magnificent things with Shang-Chi. I love Gene's writing so much. He's, he's a great writer and also like a really good person. Also, uh, Eisner Award winning. I just want to put that out there. Congratulations, Gene, if you are listening on all of your Eisners. Literally, yeah, I literally texted him the weekend that this year's Eisner winners were announced. And I was like, how many did you win? Because his name just kept popping up. It was, it was crazy. It's like, was it three? I, too, was like, Gene won another Eisner. All right. I know, I know. And great. the thing I love about Gene is like, He's still so down to earth. At this point, like if I won that many Eisners, I would be like, you can't tell me what to do. There are a number of Eisner award winning and Eisner nominated artists and writers in this book. And it's pretty amazing. So you've got Gene who did Shang-Chi. Tell me about the rest of the story. Okay, so we got Gene and Marcus Toe on Shang-Chi. We had to do a Jubilee story because, like I said earlier, Jubilee is like, to me, she's the quintessential Asian-American superhero. Fans would have come for you if Jubilee was not. Exactly, exactly. So we've got Jubilee by Christina Strain and Jason Lowe. We've got Silk by Maureen Gu and Lin Yoshi. We've got Jimmy Woo by Greg Pak and Kreese Lee. 
we've got Miss Marvel by Saber Perzada and Mashal Ahmed. We've got Wave by Alyssa Wong and Wils Portacio. And talk to me about why it's such a big deal that Wils is in the book. Like, I hate to interrupt you, but like, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's the guy who co-created Bishop. Like, another popular X-Man. Who is actually in the Wave story, right? Yes, Bishop shows up in Wave because we worked backwards on that one. That one, we had Wilts on it. And when I approached Alyssa to write the story, I was like, Wilts is going to draw this. I mean, like, you can do whatever story you want to pitch, but Wilts is drawing this. How can we not have Bishop in there, too? So... I can't wait for people to see Bishop in this story. It's so good. Also, Wave is amazing. I want to be clear. This is a Wave story. But also. It's all from Wave's point of view. So, And I know Wills, Wills was like very gung-ho about working on Wave because, you know, to him, like representation is also super important. He is Filipino, so he was like, yes, let me draw the Filipino superhero. Absolutely. And let's see. And then the two other stories, we've got Silhouette, by Jeremy Holt and Alti Fermansaya. And the last story stars Silver Samurai and Armor by Ken Nomura. I love it. Okay, so this is amazing. We also have an incredible introduction. All of the creators came together to make the, the letters pages that people don't want to miss. An interview with Larry Hama. But I really want to know, like, for you... What did it mean to be able to, like, from Friday night on your bed reading comics to being able to pull together this anthology celebrating Asian, Asian American, Pacific Islander cultures, heroes and creators? Like, what does it personally mean for you to be able to bring this book together? I, I don't know if I can actually, I can't put it into words because I'm still actually processing that feeling. It's a lot of pride. It's definitely a lot of pride. I say that it's one of the hardest books I've had to work on in recent memory because I cared that much about it. I made it hard for myself because I was putting a lot of pressure on myself. Some of those creators might say I was putting a lot of pressure on them, but it was because I just wanted it to be the kind of book that I would read as a kid and would enjoy. I'm sorry. My heart is just, I, that's, that's how I hope every person feels when they pick this book up because I get excited every time I hear any of these creators' names. I'm a big Jimmy Woo fan. I love Jimmy Woo. But like also just knowing and reading and going through the creators and the staff's answers to what identity means to them was just like one of those moments where I'm like, this is something unique and something so special. And I'm so excited for folks to get their hands on it. Yeah, that, that's actually one of my favorite aspects of the issue. And I was so thrilled when you came up with the idea. I was like, yeah, let's talk to everybody. Like, let's have all the creators, but like, let's also have people on staff contribute. I think that gave it a really nice personal touch that is also what Marvel does. You know, Marvel, you look at those bullpen pages and they'll go over like people's lives like oh this editor had a baby 
and this bullpen staffer got married this weekend. Congratulate! Like, it felt like, oh, these these are not just like strangers making this book. Like, we know these people. Like, I mean, it sounds really corny, but it's like they're family. So I, I really, I really love that aspect of the letter column. Thank you, Darren. You have so many things to go do and so many books to go wrangle. Thank you so much for all of the work you put in this. I can't wait for folks to get their hands on Marvel's Voices Identity. All right. So what are you most excited about folks seeing and when can they pick up the book? Oh, God, there's so many. I don't want to single any story out because everyone did like an amazing job. But, you know, the Jubilee story has the return of Christina Strain as colorist. You know, she's a writer now and she hasn't colored a book in, I don't know, five, six years or something, maybe even longer than that. But I brought her out of retirement to color her story and she still got it. She still got the goods. So I'm excited for people to see that. The book comes out August 25th and yeah, really excited to see what people say. Thank you so much, Darren, for being on the show and talking about Marvel's Voices Identity number one. You do not want to miss this book. It's an incredible interview with Larry Hama in it. It's a Bishop story. There's a Wave story. There's a Jubilee story. There's a Jimmy Woo story. You really want to check this book out. I am personally biased, but I think it's really great. Tune in next week on Marvel's Voices, where I'm talking to Jay Holtham, writer of the upcoming fiction podcast, Marvel's Wastelanders, Hawkeye. Marvel's Voices is produced by me, Angelique Rocher, Alexis Williams, and Isabel Robertson. Our creative producer is Harry Go. Our development manager is Brad Barton. Our production manager is Larissa Rosen. And our executive producer is Jill Duboff. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kamal Wainaina. 